Hello, this is Michelle from the Lost to Light podcast. I'm here uh, with my co-host Angie Hansen. How are you today? Good. How are you, Michelle? Doing good. Not liking this cold weather. Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. Too much snow. I haven't left my house since last Thursday. I think that's how most <laughs> Tuesday right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited to introduce our next next guest. Uh, joining us today is Doug Burns. He's a native of Carroll, Iowa. I met Doug uh, in 2021 at the Okaboji Writers Retreat. Doug was listed as one of the speakers for the retreat, and he's returned every year, just like I have. So we've gotten to know each other and become friends. Um, and the thing about Doug that really interested me and wanted me to invite him onto the show was hearing his story. He um, is, like I said, a lifelong um, resident of Carroll, Iowa, and his family owned the Carroll Daily Times Herald for... Uh, 75 years, and then it was changed to the Carroll Times Herald for a total of 93 years. This newspaper was part of his family's legacy. And in December of 2022, um, the paper was sold, which you can only imagine having that in your family tree for so many years, how that would affect you professionally, personally, family, everything. It touched every aspect of his life because he was so ingrained into the community as this leader of this outlet to share the news. So um, and in addition to the Carroll Times, his family had a total of nine publications in the area. There was... Um, the Jefferson Herald, there was three publications in Guthrie County and two in Adair County. So I think I'm just going to let Doug jump in and ask him to share a little bit, bit about his story, his background, um, his family, his life, and then how he has had to find his light and carry his torch forward after the loss of his newspaper. Now, typically we you know, have a lot of guests that have lost a loved one. But Angie and I, when we started this program, we decided we wanted to highlight more than just loss of people. We wanted to highlight the struggles that everyday common people that we know are going through from other kinds of losses because they affect us at so many levels. And so I think shining the light on the journey that Doug has gone through through sort of his loss of identity is is really an important one. So the stage is yours, Doug. And he's on the other side of the fence. <laughs> <laughs> he's normally the one asking the questions. That is true. So, well, first of all, Michelle, it's an honor to be on with you. I, uh, you know, I've interviewed you multiple times. Uh, so it's, it is interesting to be on the other side of this. Your, your book, uh, Better Not Bitter is, is terrific. And of course we did multiple interviews about that book at the Okaboji Writers Retreat, where you you are one of the breakout stars. There are about 300 authors, writers, poets, and others. And for regular listeners of this podcast, I'm sure you know that Michelle is very humble. So let me uh, sing her praises here and just let you know that she's a very respected writer 
uh, not just in Iowa, but in the in the region. And if you have not read her book, you you really should. It's inspiring. And Angie, great to to meet you and uh, hear your story, hear your journey. And I and I understand you're working on a book, and uh, yes. you have a you have a great co-host and role model in the uh, in the authoring world, so to speak. But yeah, uh, um, I'm a fourth generation newspaper person. Uh, Michelle is right that I grew up in 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 Carroll, Iowa. Uh, this is my hometown. We're, again, four generations deep. Uh, I was adopted, though, so I'm technically a native of Cedar Rapids, as I was born at Mercy Hospital there and then a, a, adopted as a baby, uh, raised in the newspaper family here, uh, went to college, at uh, graduated from Carroll High School, went to college at Northwestern University in Evanston, and then I did work uh, for several years for the uh, Ames Tribune and uh, worked in Washington, D.C., for a member of Congress and for inside Washington publishers. Uh, but I've always had, uh, you are accurate in saying I'm a lifelong Carroll resident because I've, I've had, you know, residency here, uh, even when I worked other places, uh, because I was always tied to the newspaper doing things, uh, for the paper. So we, uh, we, we battled to keep the paper family owned and, uh, kept as many people employed for as long as we could. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, the, the debt situation and the financial realities of the newspaper world were, were just too much. I, I'm the, the, the co-founder of the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation, which still exists. People can find that online, westerniowajournalismfoundation.com. We've raised more than one and a half million dollars, and that, that money has gone to keep multiple journalists employed, including at our former paper, La Prenza Spanish language paper, Storm Lake, soon to be Harlan. And I know, Michelle, you're in Council Bluffs, and we're, we're potentially going to be able to fund some uh, positions that cover your community right now, which is uh, quickly becoming a news desert without uh, much reporting. So anyway, we were, we were in the battle, and uh, just candidly, we ultimately lost and had to uh, sell the uh, newspaper in order to pay off debt. And then we had to sell my mom's house, which my uh, brother and sister and I, uh, my mom owned uh, jointly uh, and use a large amount of the proceeds from that to pay off our debt. And then we were just after all of those years, we were we were done. Um, I was at a meeting yesterday of at the Carroll Chamber of Commerce. And I, I say this not to credential myself, but just to give you an idea of how deep our roots are. Four members of my family have been citizen of the year in Carroll, including me and my mother, and then my grandfather and uncle. And I sat in the publisher's office at the newspaper at the same desk they sat at uh, since 1929. So, you know, no other family in Carroll's had four people uh, earn the citizen of the year award. We we met yesterday to vote on the on this coming year's uh, citizen of the year. So uh, after that meeting, I was happy to be able to vote for, um, you know, the people that I thought deserved the, the different honors. But it was I drove around the community afterwards and saw all the projects that we were involved in. And uh, it was it was heartening, but also difficult. I can only imagine, Doug, did you through that foundation was the Dennis Press part of that, too? Yes, the dentists yeah. were great. Because a the gentleman from there interviewed me about my book. In Gordon Wolf, I'm yeah. sure. I think it was or Dan Munn, either Dan Munn or Gordon, Gordon. Wolf interviewed me. Yeah. yeah. Gordon, yeah. Um, 
That's quite a history. I, I mean, I, I cannot imagine what that must have felt like to go through that at the end. I, the, just all the changes to all the different layers of your life, because it wasn't just your profession. You were carrying a lot of the weight of your family tree on your shoulders. Yeah, it really is. a it's, And then, you know, if you're going to run a really successful community newspaper, it's it's really a life decision as much as it is a career decision, because to do it well, you really go all in. And so I you know, never got married, never had kids. There's, you know, a constellation of reasons for that. But the fact that, you know, I was the, the newspaper really was my family, like literally it was the, you know, a generational family newspaper. And then in 2013, out of 300 newspapers in Iowa, we were the, you know, the newspaper of the year based on wow. accumulation of, of, of awards for uh, journalism, community service, advertising. So I've hired, been able to hire some really talented journalists through the years. And, and that kind of became my extended family. And then my outer ring of really extended family was all the boards and organizations and philanthropic pursuits and community-minded efforts we were we were involved in and that, that I was involved in. So, I mean, the community writ large was my family. Uh, my actual family was working with me side by side every day. And then I had this like close network of, you know, professional sons and daughters uh, who I worked with. So all of that was just sort of, well, it was just shattered. And uh, I mean, I'm a little humbled to be on the call with the two of you because I know both of your stories. I know, Angie, that you lost a son, a husband, a brother, and an in-law within just a span of, of, of you know, uh, a few years. And of course, Michelle, I've interviewed you about your book and the loss of your husband, Joe. So I, when Michelle, when you reached out, I, I was reluctant to come on uh, this program because I, I didn't know that my grief, uh, you know, rose to the level of, of, of yours because I, I didn't lose a loved one. I mean, you actually lost a human being. So me talking about my grief is sort of equivalent, I think, and me talking about my grief with you is kind of equivalent to those people who who think that their dogs are people. They describe their dogs as grand doggies or, well, I don't have kids, but I have a dog. I mean, really, like, you know, dogs aren't human beings and a newspaper isn't a human being either. So thanks for your your indulgence. But, uh, you know, the reason I, 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 I came on the call is. I was traveling around this summer with Congressman Ro Khanna from, uh, from Silicon Valley. We were in Ohio and Pennsylvania, and we were meeting with dislocated steel workers, auto workers, coal miners, people that had been deeply involved, deeply proud of their careers. You know, I mean, that's no short thing to like, you know, no small thing to build America with coal and steel. These were great jobs. These unions were families and, and these people lost their jobs in much the same way I did. So as I heard their stories and heard about the amount of suicides and uh, other, you know, and, and family dysfunction and other grief uh, tied to this catastrophic job loss, I, I think there are more of me than there are of you, meaning your your grief is certainly maybe more profound or more seen. It's like you're it's like you're disabled people in a wheelchair and I'm I have a disability nobody can see, which is that 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 job loss and all of those effects. So I, I think, especially with artificial intelligence arriving and other disruptive tech forces 
I think you're going to see a lot of people uh, driven out of their careers and driven out of the out of their identity at probably an unprecedented scale. So I think you know, just based on on numbers, they're going to be more of me than of you. Right. I I would I would agree, Doug, and I know the importance of well, mental health is is very near and dear to me. As for those readers that have read my book. My late husband, Joe, did have a suicide attempt. And when I talked to you about your situation, Doug, and you just mentioned the word suicide when you talked about all these other people that have been displaced from their jobs, um, that is a topic that people don't like to talk about. But I believe in my heart, and it's, it's also because I'm a nurse and I used to work in mental health at, at a time in my life, too, as a nurse. It's a topic that we really need to bring to the forefront because it affects so many lives. Um, mental health doesn't get the coverage it needs to. And if you're open to sharing your own journey with that, you know, after, because losing your newspaper is very much a traumatic event in your life. And it brought on a grief journey that you anticipated, but you know, you lost your identity in the process. So there was, it was so complicated for you. Do you want to share a little bit of your insight with our listeners so they can better understand um, how it really affects a person when they go through that? So if they find themselves or a loved one in a similar situation, maybe they'll remember some of these points. That's a wonderfully framed question, Michelle. I guess I would look at it this way. So, you know, I was in my teenage years uh, when I saw stories about family farmers killing themselves. And I, I really had kind of a condescending attitude about it, you know, just tough it out. Um, so you can't farm anymore. Well, move to St. Louis. Um, it's sort of what you'd expect from a 14 year old with the whole world in front of him and, and really nothing built behind him to see. Uh, but, you know, after as we were losing the paper, just candidly, I, th I thought about it myself. And, um, you know, I, I haven't, of course, but, you know, I spent 30 years of my life on the on the newspaper. We were the, you know, one of the, the top newspapers in, in the state. And that, that was based on a, a a team effort, based on an ensemble cast that was really talented. Um, but as we were losing it, I thought, well, what's all this for? You know, maybe I'll, I'll just catch coronavirus. And, you know, I, 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 if I would have gotten a cancer diagnosis at that point, I would have been probably, you know, uh, one part sad and two parts relieved because the, it was it was it was just overwhelming. So I'm sort of, you know, 50 year old me is embarrassed of how 14 year old me thought about uh, suicide on the on, on the farm. But when we were uh, when I was traveling in Ohio and Pennsylvania doing a, a, a pretty lengthy piece. Uh, and I, 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 and I was in some places over in Eastern Iowa, uh, just talking about you know, job dislocation and what that, what that means. I would, I would, it was almost a formula that you would hear where somebody would, would lose a, a, a position, uh, in a, in a, you know, usually a really pretty good union job, uh, in the story, in the story that I was working on. And, uh, then their, their family relationships, their marriage would have, would be strained and that would disintegrate. And maybe they went from being kind of a, typically they went from being a recreational or weekend drinker to being an everyday drinker or abuser of uh, Oxycontin or something like that. And then 
then they became distant from everybody because to your point, they weren't talking about their mental health and then they would, uh, you know, either end up just adrift at best or, or dead because they, they overdosed or they killed themselves. And I, I talked to a head of a, 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 a steel workers uh, union leader in, um, in Ohio who said, and Warren, Ohio, and he knew of 12 people that had been dislocated from their jobs because of offshoring uh, who killed themselves. 12 people. That's just one union. Now, granted, it's a huge union. That's, a, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, when I um, sit here and listen to what you're saying, Doug, um, you know, that's our, like we said, our, you know, our whole mission, you know, loss is loss, you know, and grief is grief. And it's how we all choose to, how we choose to approach our losses, whether, you know, how it, however it is. And every, every feeling that you've talked about um, with people that haven't specifically had a person die, um, all the feelings are the same. I mean, we have the same feelings, you know, of loss of identity. We lose that when we lose our person, you know, like, yeah, you just were the same. And, you know, and I've talked to you about my sister-in-law, you know, her, I had, we both had choices. Um, I chose to live my life and I chose to live it as well as I could for all the people that had died. And my sister-in-law, she chose to drink because she didn't know how to live without the alcohol you know, and unfortunately that's what she died from was alcoholism and drinking herself to death. And, um, you know, but like I said, just everything that you had mentioned about people, you know, and just the loss around the losses is having death loss. Um, I, you know, I have the same feelings as everybody else and you losing your identity when, you know, the paper, the family paper is gone or, you know, like when, you mentioned even dogs, you know, like some of these people with that have dogs or pets, you know, these things, um, they're like, well, maybe I shouldn't feel so, you know, so much like that because it was sometimes just a dog people say, but maybe this was a service dog too. You know, you never know. This could have been a dog that served a person's life, you know? And, um, so there's just, I just, I just wanted to touch base with that, how, you know, you talked about that. It's, it's all relevant and that's why we need to talk about it. We need to talk about loss and grief because it's all full circle when it comes to everything. So. That's correct. And um, I want to touch base a little bit on the loss of identity because I think that's something that sometimes gets swept under the carpet a little bit. People just assume you're the same person after that. Well, you're not. You know, how can you lose something, whether it's your spouse, your son? a company that you had in your family for 93 years that really affected like every part of your life. How can you lose these things or a job, you know, um, you know, like the union jobs, those people that that's all they knew. How, mm -hmm. how can you have this great loss and not come out the other side of that and be a different person? I know I'm way different than I used to be. And me, me as well. I had somebody actually say something to me. They're like, you're so different than you used to be. I'm like, well, that was, I, I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, well, how could I not be different? I, I, I'm not the same person. You know, I, I thought, 
my life was going to look like this. And now my whole life has done a complete 360 and it's not anywhere. My dreams were shattered. My everything was gone. And, you know, I had to rebuild. You know, Doug, a thought came to my mind when you were saying, talking about your 14 year old person looking at the farmers like they did. And then now you were kind of facing some similar things. I kind of have a, a, a similar story. Our listeners know I started losing my vision um, in 21. And um, I, it, I was so devastated when that started happening. As a nurse, it was like something that was so out of my control. And I had flashbacks of patients that I, I used to do workman's comp. And I had all these flashbacks of patients that I had helped in the past where they had like lost something in their life because of this injury that they sustained or this chronic illness, you know, that their life had been impacted suddenly by this work injury. And all of a sudden I had all these rushing feelings of, oh my gosh, you know, and I questioned, you know, how did I handle it back then when I didn't understand it? And I, I know what you're saying because I went through that. And I actually found myself in a therapist chair trying to dissect that and make make peace of that in my mind and in my heart because, you know, I felt like, gosh, had I had I done harm to somebody maybe in how I approached it with them because I didn't even understand it at the time. So it's a journey. Life is just a journey and we do the best that we can and we we have to work really hard to find our own path. And so after I lost my vision, um, I became depressed and I was in the process of writing my book. And when that happened and that in itself was so cathartic and I was reliving a lot of like pain and grief from that. So Oh, you just got to work so hard to get through it. And I know you both, I'm talking to the choir here, you know, Angie, you're in the middle of writing a book right now, and you're probably reliving a lot of that stuff. And it's coming back to the surface. And Doug, for you, you're still trying to find your path. You know, you, you can tell us now maybe a little bit about your, your life that you're finding and what you're doing career wise since the newspaper. But I know in a conversation that we had, you're still trying to find your way. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know to to, to you know to re- reveal a little bit about our our conversation offline. I mean, you you told me that you know as as well as you're doing with the publication of the book, you're you're remarried. You have a I think you used a perfect phrase, Michelle. You have a new normal, mm-hmm. but you're you know you're never really out of the grief crucible. No, I mean once you're in it, you're you're in it and it's kind of, it's going to be with you until, uh, until you're gone, but you, you find ways to manage it. And I think what, what I do is, or what I decided to do is to, to Angie's point is just to get busy living instead of get busy dying. You know, it was kind of that, that's, it's really a life and death choice. I mean, it's that, <laughs> that binary and that stark, right. You know, I've been fortunate because of my career and just my personality, you know, I have a lot of friends from high school, from college, journalism, politics. So I've been, been, and I, I really maintain and cultivate friendships. So I, I, uh, been really blessed to just have a, a, a wide circle of friends. But I'd say in the last year, I've made more new friends than I have since probably college or my early twenties, because 
I just, you know, when you make your world small, you allow a few things in it or a few people to loom too large. So I just elected to make my world a lot bigger and um, just get out as much as I can, go do things that I haven't done before. Uh, you know, I've, I'm, I've been a journalist, but I haven't really been involved in the fiction or uh, author world or the poetry world. And I got involved with, with that and met a lot of people. Um, and then I think I was open to some friendships or would just, it's interesting how you encounter and interact and find people that, uh, you know, because of the empathy, I think uh, I built through the, through the grief, it was hard earned empathy. I'm, I'm happiest when I'm doing things for other people. And then, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, from time to time over the last year, I think maybe I've been taken advantage of or haven't necessarily made the best decisions always because I've just wanted to put kindness out into the world. And, and, and I know that like when you operate that way, that some people are going to take advantage of you. But if you're able to, because I understand and have probably more empathy than I, and I had, I think I had a decent amount before, but, uh, you know, cause I dealt with some, some loss, but I mean, I was adopted as a baby and then, you know, my parents were divorced when I was pretty young. My dad was a closeted gay man. So that wasn't easy being 12 years old and having your family uh, shattered because, you know, imagine finding out in the 1980s, you know, today there's some, kind of some cachet associated with being gay or non-binary or somewhere on, on that spectrum. And I don't want to get into the politics or the culture of that because that's not the purpose of the call. But just imagine being in the in the. Uh, you know, the 1980s as a preteen, as an adolescent boy and finding out your dad is, is gay and then, you know, having your family uh, torn apart. Um, so and, and I've had other, you know, uh, losses along along the along the way, uh, but I always had the newspaper. And so to lose that, that was that was everything to me. So I'm still trying to get out on the other end. But what I find uh, is. Um, you know, if you can just try to show kindness and do things that are just be helpful to other people um, that and you see yourself kind of in that role, it uh, you make a lot of friends and new connections that way. But it also gives you purpose. And um, even if I if I don't have. Yes, I lost my identity, but I, I, I think I've regained uh, some purpose and purpose is maybe the. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe that's the the tributary that gets you into the main river of uh, of of identity again, right? Right. Yeah. So what? So Doug. So what are you doing now that you're not in the journalism world of still, paper? Yeah, newspaper world. So I still <laughs> I, uh, I I do a lot of uh, I'm part of the Iowa Writers Collaborative. There's a collection of Substack columns, so I still do regular writing and reporting. I do a lot of work with the Western Iowa Journalism Foundation, raising funds there. Uh, I work with La Prensa Spanish language newspaper, which I've worked with for years, helping to sell advertising for that. I've helped with Dana James, who's the publisher of Black Iowa News, helped there. And then I do uh, some digital marketing and uh, uh, represent Iowa newspapers on uh, political advertising. So. I do, I do multiple things and have multiple pursuits. And I just, you know, uh, I don't know. I guess my advice to people when they go through this kind of grief is they probably, I just, you know, just kind of I'm like a shark and just kept 
doing, you know, moving forward as fast as I could. I had, I couldn't just sit still, but I probably should have. It probably makes sense when you deal with some grief like this to the extent that you can to just maybe, you know, separate yourself for a month or two before you make any, any decisions. I jumped into a lot of things pretty quickly. I agree with that in a way because my, after, after my husband had died and then my brother had died two months after him, it was just truly my daughter and I, and, um, our whole family had lost somebody significant, you know, so we couldn't really lean on each other as a family unit because we were all grieving, you know, different people in different aspects. And anyways, I, my idea was, well, if Gracie and I just run and we go on vacation here, go on vacation there, and we just keep on moving, um, you know, it'll be fine. You know, you don't have to think about it as much because we're enjoying life. And then, boy, did that come to a head that summer after, you know, um, we did that and we had to get back in the routine so Gracie could go to school in August. And when each time, you know, but when we came back, it was, it hit you head on. You came home to an empty house and you had to deal with it all over again. And so I, I like the idea of traveling, but I do suggest maybe sitting for a while because you have to grab a hold of that grief and process it. And I don't, I think I was running from it in the beginning. You have to go through it well, and experience yeah, it. And let yourself feel all the emotions attached to it. That's how you get through it. You have to go through it. You can't go around it. I don't really get into comparative grief or comparative misery, but it is interesting that all three of us, in terms of our sense of place, we, a lot of like, you know, Michelle, you know, you were in Council Bluffs where you get, when you got the news about, you know, your husband, Joe, I know you, you have a, a farm, it's a primary residence, but you're still in Iowa, yeah. you're in Northwest Iowa, and you still have a place in Council yeah. Bluffs. And then Angie, you're still, you know, outside of Omaha, uh, near the Fremont, in the Fremont, Omaha area uh, in Valley. And that's where you've been. And I'm, I'm in the, the, you know, in the community that my family uh, operated a newspaper in for a century. So none of us kind of took that off ramp and, and just, you know, changed scenery. So I don't, I don't, I've thought about that. And that'd be an interesting question that I'd, I'd pose to both of you. Is that, have we... You know, to Angie's point, does does that make us sort of stare our demons in the face and, and deal with them and not run from them? Or is it a mistake not to, you know, just start fresh and have that new scenery? And because we're all around, um, you know, physical, like around buildings and people and uh, that remind you know, us. so much that reminds us of our loss. Is it a, is it a, should we, would we even be doing this podcast right now if we were all living in California? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I mean, would we, would we have gotten past it? Are we marinating in grief by continuing to live? Uh, I mean, do, are we? Did we eliminate like one of the best tools possible to uh, to move on, which is a U-Haul and uh, a new license plate on our car from a different state? Well, I can talk from a little bit of experience. In I think Angie, you sold your house and moved because you built a house. For me. Um, when I sold our acreage that Joe and I had built, it was in Council Bluffs, and it was so hard to put it on the market and empty it out. 
But when it was all said and done, I felt like this huge relief off of my shoulders. Now, oh, I will honestly say I cannot drive up on our old street anymore. I, it brings, brings me back to kind of a panic or like an anxiety. I even my mom's farm, you know, after my mom died at her acreage, I, I can't drive back past that. And that's been nine years. So, but I'm still, I still have a condo in council. I still see all the familiar things, but it's not the heaviness that I once felt in my old house that I built with Joe. I think the biggest thing I feel is that it's, you know, it's, there is no right or wrong answer, you know, because, um, it's how, it's how we remember and what we have inside of our heart and souls that carry us. And honestly, and that's something when I decided to sell, um, my first husband, Jack and I, we lived on his family's farm on their acreage. It was his grandparents. And so we lived there and, um, you know, so that was his family's. And so for me to have to turn around and decide to sell that, it was really, really hard because I was like, how am I, you know, am I going to hurt his parents? You know, am I going to hurt his family? Um, So I talked to my father-in-law and he, um, you know, and I cried to him and I told him that, um, you know, I was scared, but I said, I, we had a small business on our farm and um, we had a storage business and I just, it was Jack's dream and I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I was just like, I didn't want this. And, um, but I, you know, I had to make that decision and I felt the relief too, after I was gone, you know, and I just think I had, you know, I'd watched my husband die there, you know, he was on hospice and, um, my brother died there. My brother lived on the farm with us. Um, he, he lived in the little house. And him and his wife lived there and then they were gone both because she didn't ever come back either because she couldn't. And then, um, you know, we lost our son living on that farm and I was, it was just so much. And so, um, you know, recently, um, when Gracie was home for Christmas break, we talked about that because I talk about it in my book and, um, she talked about, we, I asked her how she felt about it because she was only seven when, you know, when we decided to sell and move. And, um, she said she was happy too, because of the memories that were there. But she's like, even she said, she's like, mom, you know, it's, you've taught me that we get to take our memories with us, no matter what, they're not ever, ever going away. None of those memories are going away. And, you know, she's like, it doesn't matter if we're in a house or where we're at, we still have those memories. And so that's what I, that's kind of what I lean on. You know, I just, we, you know, we get to have those memories and they can't be taken away from us. You know, the, the house is a thing, but that's how I kind of Doug, move forward. I have a question for you. So, so for you, I'm sure, and you know, I'm familiar with Carol. It's not that big of a community. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good sized town, yeah. but I'm sure it is painful to drive by that building and see it. Uh, it, 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 they've remodeled it. So it's, it's, it's painful to drive by that. It's, you know, in, in the 1990s, I, there's a, a park called Veterans Memorial Park. And one of the first columns I wrote was suggesting that we, we didn't have a vet, a park named after a veteran or a veterans park. And, 
there was a, a, a young man who died in World War II. I knew his story and family, so I suggested the park be named after him. Victor Mueller was his name. And he went to Iowa State, and, and uh, at, at that time, you know, he, I, I just just moved by his story. I, I've really enjoyed getting to know you and your story and your family's history. It's um, pretty impressive to me. 93 years having a family business is something I've never uh, heard of. So I think that's very impressive. So I, I really do appreciate you sharing um, everything. And I love how you said that you finding your light uh, after all this losses, you know, you got busy living and instead of dying. So I love that. And a lot of times, uh, Michelle, do you want to add anything before we ask him? Uh, well, before we ask him, Doug, I just want to tell you that I am grateful that you came on to the show with us. I'm also grateful for our friendship that we have formed. And I look forward to uh, what the future holds. But as we wrap up here, I. Um, you know, we always end our podcast with asking our guests to give us their favorite quote, a favorite lyric out of a song, out of a book. Um, so, Doug, let us know what you have. This is a, a quote from uh, James Baldwin, and here it is. Any real change implies the breakup of the world as one has always known it, the loss of all that gave one an identity, the end of safety. And at such a moment, unable to see, and not daring to imagine what the future will now bring forth, one clings to what one knew or thought one knew and what one possessed or dreamed that one possessed. Yet it is only when a man is able, without bitterness or self-pity, to surrender a dream he has long cherished or a privilege he has long possessed that he is set free. He has set himself free for higher dreams, for greater privileges. I love that. Wow, I love that. Thank you. <laughs> okay, Doug. We'll, thank, we'll... You for me, thank, thank you for having me on the program. Yeah. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And look forward to seeing you, Michelle, at, a, uh, at the Okaboji Ride. I'm sure we'll see each other before then in Council yeah. Bluffs. And Andy, uh, please do come to Okaboji in September. Yeah, I'll have to see if it fits into my schedule for sure. But it's been a, it's been a privilege of mine, Doug. So thank you. Good luck with your book. Yes, thank you. Bye, Doug.